Welcome to the Soccer Podcast, where we talk soccer in Delaware, soccer in the rest of the world, and everything in between. My name is Sebastian, and I'm joined here by Dwayne. What's going on, Sebastian? We just had our uh, former one of our former podcast guests on the podcast. There was some troubleshooting with him. Oh, I was like four more podcast guests on the podcast. I was like, we just started recording the. No, yeah, we just got off the off the uh, off the meeting with you know some Godsport technical support. Yeah, you offered that information. I just uh, I was on mute the entire time. You're just the ro- you're just the robot. I'm the robot. What is that? And that and then then they have this other thing called was it Chat GP or something like that? They're, they're- yeah, you're just the chat. You're the chat person that sends <laughs> over to somebody real. Yeah. Um, um yeah but yeah man how was uh how was your week in soccer this week since last week uh this this week was is one of the uh those rare weeks where i actually got to train for three days in a row oh uh, yeah rare rare occasion where had a lighter game on monday and then um have a game today but we're able to train pretty hard on tuesday wednesday and thursday um so so really really exciting stuff for for Odessa, um, looking forward to this next coming week. We got we got our some tougher games coming up, specifically Monday and next Friday. Um, with two other games in there that are always going to be tough. Uh, but hopefully we can, you know, rotate some players and give some other players some time on the field. But but uh, we play probably one of our toughest games on Monday. Yeah, I heard some I heard some chatter on the D two airwaves, man. They they're calling you guys out, man. Some teams said they want to they want to play you guys. They want the smoke. They want the smoke. I mean, they're like sitting here like Odessa's running the table, and they want the smoke. Uh, last year, last year, in this point of the season, we were sitting, we were, we were sitting at pretty much the same spot except for a tie. So we were sitting at nine zero and one. Um. So uh, we were we were just kind of in that within that that part of it. So, um, but yeah, I mean, we're it's exciting stuff. Um, so looking looking forward to in general everything that's going on with Odessa. All right, um, we we have another interview. I think we're we're starting to run out of interviews from the convention. By the way, yeah, it's been a quick twenty weeks. I have like three or four left, and that's about it. Um, that we haven't used. Uh, but this was actually really interesting because um, I sat down with Alan Black. I don't think you were in this one, right? Came in towards the end. You came in towards the end, yeah. So I sat down with uh, Alan Black, who is the um, new talent uh, director for Pro Referee. When we've had we've had a Pro Referee before on the pro, on the podcast. Um, but he's the director of new talent. And we talk about basically how, how you track a referee and how you bring in new referees and what the procedures are like. Um, and this is right before we got to talk to him right before they were starting their preseason for the MLS, which was really exciting uh, to find out how that process goes. So we'll, we'll listen to Alan. Now I have the pleasure of sitting down with Alan black. He is the head of technical programs and new talent at pro referee. Alan, how are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks for asking. Um, head of technical programs and new talent at Pro Referee. Let's first let's start off with Pro Referee. Can you tell us about what Pro Referee means? We've had a we've had a Pro Referee referee here on, on the podcast before, but can you tell us about Pro Referee first and what what that is? Yeah, absolutely. Pro Pro Referees are uh, an arm of U.S. soccer that deals exclusively with officiating in the professional game 
in the US and in Canada. And we are responsible for the assigning, the development, and the officiating of, of all of those games uh, throughout the season. And uh, US Soccer have entrusted us to look after that area of, of soccer in, in, in North America. All right. So head of technical programs and new talent. What does that mean? That's a big title. <laughs> a lot of responsibility. Well, if I if I break it down really into three big areas. The first the first big area is ensuring that the education development program for all levels in the professional game in pro referees uh is covered consistently, is covered along the same curriculum and is delivered in the the same way and ensuring that the messages are all agreed at this level by the the relevant qualified people and delivered with those messages so that the referees get all of those messages in the same way by the same people so that when they go out to the professional game they are uh well educated and well well informed on 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 that side. So I'm responsible for for the oversight of that program. The second part of it is quite a big uh, important role on the evaluation side for for pro and uh, ensuring that the all of the officials are evaluated uh, according to pro standards and that. Every evaluation that's carried out by our assessor panel is carried out to the same consistent standard, and they are also trained and developed uh, by me on a weekly and monthly basis. So that's the second part of it. The third part of it is, as you you mentioned, the new talent side, and that is uh, a, a program which we started up in 2022. And I was uh, entrusted by the, the previous GM, Howard Webb, to formulate a program that uh, in, in many ways is, is groundbreaking. And the reason I say it's groundbreaking is because nowhere else, as we are aware, uh, on the planet at this level, has a specific program for developing, identifying, and progressing the careers of officials in a transparent way that everybody knows what the requirements are and how we develop those those talents when we identify them to bring them to the level that we need them to, to, to officiate in all of the professional leagues. That's really interesting. So, um, so when you talk about new talent, how do you, how do you, how do you find New talent. It's a really, really good question, and that was one of the the the, the whiteboard things we sat down with uh, a, a year and a half ago and said, "Okay, how do we find talent?" Well, there are two main areas in a country this size for for talent identification: in person identification and remote identification. The in person identification is carried out, obviously, as as it is in the title, uh, at different events and different games. Uh, where we we have qualified talent identifiers watching for specific parts of a performance or a performance in general and reporting back uh, to myself and, and, and my staff on, on what they found. The second part of it is the remote identification where we do follow up 
uh, observation of those officials and potentially find other officials through recommendations um, to watch via video. And that is not as probably valuable in some respects, but also can be more valuable in that we can watch it several times. Right. Um, watch for several things. So both both identification methods have benefits. They also have disadvantages. And all of that is part of the first part of the program of the identification side of officials. And then we, we would move on to the development side of that talent to see whether or not they, they, they have the qualities and attributes aside from the technical performance that we need at the, the professional level. And then when we're talking about identification in, in these events, are we talking college, youth soccer? Is that where, where the identifiers happen at the college level and at the youth level, at the highest level of youth soccer? So MLS Next, ECNL, Girls Academy, and then like at the college level, is that is that what we're talking about? Or, well, or the, yeah. where does USL and, and these other leagues fall in as well into that? Yeah, it's really it's a really good question, and and one of the big priorities we put in place was that in, in order to progress to the very highest level, and and if I'm being honest, I I went through this. Everybody who who I work with in Europe went through this. In order to progress, in order to be identified, you need to excel at every level you're thrown into, and in order to do that uh, successfully, you need experience. And the very lowest level, the best referees move to the next level. For example, an under 10 game, your next level is an under 11 games, an under 12 game, an under 13 game, an under 14 game. It's really important that you excel at every level. So we're going right, right back to, to grassroots level. And we're, we're, we're asking our identifiers that if we're out watching an individual, not have they got the quality for MLS, not have they got the quality for USL, not have they got the quality for NWSL. We're asking the identifiers to look under the context, have they got the qualities to succeed at the next level? Interesting. And if they have, then we throw them to the next level. And we give them a bit of time, we watch them at the next level. And the question is, do they have the ability to succeed at the level after that. So what we really want is a, a big grounding of, of experience at every level they've worked at in the past, potentially uh, with players as well. You know, you throw a player in too soon yeah, and they'll struggle. Right. And the reason they'll struggle is because they haven't got the foundation built up over the years to, to succeed at the higher level. And and you talk about officiating and what's required to succeed. Well, it's a bit of an ironic situation in that you need to make a mistake in order to do it better next time. Right. And we're not setting the officials up to make mistakes. We're setting them up to, to observe how they handle Mistake. mistakes and how they bounce back. And at every level, that's very, very important. Every level has different challenges. Right. For example, youth soccer has the challenge of parents. Yeah. And dealing with that. Event soccer has the challenge of 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 the you know the 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 scheduling 
of the the referees doing a game each day and 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 fatigue all of that type of thing amateur soccer has has many challenges around managing players then all of that is is coming together in order to 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 handle a semi professional game semi professional game has its challenges in that that you've got crowds you've got stadiums yeah and then you move on from that and at each of those levels, obviously, we do an extensive program of evaluation and observation for the officials. So, I mean, it's it's interesting. It's again, this is why I think this conversation is important because, and we were talking about it off before we started recording. It's how much, how much work is done behind the scenes that potentially is unknown to the to the person that's watching TV and seeing these referees. Right? They see the referee. They say the they see the badge says pro on it. Um, but so much work has gone into not only preparing that referee, but identifying and what you're saying is the identification process now takes years before you identify a referee be- years before they'll potentially see an MLS field or a NWSL field, right? Like it's a long, long time ago. Yeah. And, and what, what a lot of people, uh, are starting to realize is if we push a referee or an assistant referee too soon. You're actually being detrimental to their career, and you're hurting them in certain respects, as opposed to preparing them that they're ready for the next level. Then they take that next step, and that's that's something that 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 is really only being communicated out now, um, more more so than than it was in the past. And then, so now let's just let's just say we have a referee that's that's in pro. And they're doing really well. What is that relationship now potentially with FIFA? And how do you potentially push them towards that into doing international games? How does that look? What does that pathway look like? Yeah, that's 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 a over the past couple of years, um, pro officials on the international stage have have had phenomenal success. And and that's down to to in many parts the work that 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 certain people within pro have done on the international stage through their own officiating and through work in the confederation level to to push these officials and and the officials themselves are getting fantastic experience on on different aspects of officiating every week in MLS for example VAR for example uh working uh in teams of 6 instead of 4 and what actually happens in relation to getting to FIFA is the best performing officials within pro get many trial games of many, many tournaments that they go to across CONCACAF, across the Caribbean, across Central America to build up a bit of experience. That gives us an opportunity to watch them in that environment before, obviously, US soccer would recommend them for a FIFA badge. And the panel of, of FIFA officials is changing um, in terms of dynamics, and uh, there, we are seeing a lot more young, uh, up-and-coming, hungry, motivated officials uh, in MLS who are very, very capable of taking the FIFA, the FIFA role on. And obviously, two months ago, one of our top referees did... Uh, the fourth official in the World Cup final. Yeah. And what was also very important to realize that all of the team of pro officials were involved in the last stages of that tournament, which is something that's never happened before. And it's tremendous testament to the work that those officials put in 
as well as the the pro staff who who helped them along the way. And everybody from them, youth soccer right up to the World Cup, played a partner development. And and uh, obviously they needed to be identified, but they were developed through in the right way. And and the success is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, so we 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 briefly touched on this uh, as we were sitting down right before we started recording um, preseason and the importance of preseason. So right now uh, we started seeing a lot of MLS clubs have started going back into preseason. So is this the time where referees go back into their preseason? And what does that preseason look like? And what does that environment look like? Because I do feel like there's probably a misconception where where the where the average viewer is watching an MLS game and going like. This person might have just like drove in from their house and then no, that's not quite the case. Uh, so can you can you kind of walk us through what that preseason looks like and how important it is? Of course. So it's probably the most important time of the season for professional match officials in that there are two big aspects to preparation for the season. The first aspect is the physical preparation and to be clear to everybody, uh, that doesn't actually stop the year round. There's different levels of intensity, but uh, the the sports science department within pro are absolutely fantastic at preparing an official at the right moment to hit the MLS games in the right condition. And it, it, I can't say enough about them. They're, they're, they're really, really good. So it's the physical preparation is the first part. Then as technical management we've got to choose the right moment to bring the officials in ahead of the season to give them the appropriate technical messages that are new or reaffirm old messages before the season begins and uh, we were talking previous uh next week in houston is the first formal event where we're bringing all of the officials that work in the professional game to a three-day camp and at that three-day camp is a combination of different technical sessions, some physical training for, for certain levels, and also a lot of VAR training and reaffirmation of messages ahead of the season. Now, when we go away after that three-day camp, uh, two weeks later, uh, the referees who work in MLS will come together again for five days in Dallas, and we'll do a lot of technical work and fitness testing and get them ready uh, for some of the challenges ahead on the season. Two weeks later, and that means the week before the season starts, the referees come together for another five days. So that's 10 days in February where they're away from their families in an environment just with other referees where they're receiving education, coaching, and preparation for the beginning of the season. And we've often found that bringing the referees together in that environment leads to better performances on the field. Because they're, they're you know, uh, if you think about a team coming together for 10 days in a month and not seeing their families for 10 days, the, the work is intense. Yeah. And the work is dedicated purely to what's ahead of them in, at the season. And that's why beginning of the season, they hit the ground running, and uh, we uh, we we have to be ready for that. And and the one other thing to remember on that is, for a referee, every game is an away game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's Not no home for games. Every team. No, no, no home team no half your, Yeah, half your half your games aren't at home. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's an away game, so we travel by airplane to every game. 
every week. First these, class? These, uh, unfortunately, I don't. I, don't, <laughs> I can't speak for the referees, but I don't. Uh, but yes, it's uh, it's 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 a lot of preparation. And as an old colleague of mine, general manager of, of Pro Peter Walton used to say, you don't just go to Walmart, buy a tin of referee, open it up, and put it on the field. Yeah, there's yeah. years of development no, to I, get them to that. Stage. I like what you said about the referees coming together because it is like a preseason, right? I'm, I mean, as an official, as a player, as a coach, when we're critiquing others, you see what you say. Hey, I can do this better than you. And that helps the referees train themselves to just be, you know, reflect on themselves on what they can do and evaluate to get better. Because do referees miss calls? Sure. Do some referees call certain calls some way and some the other way? Sure. But at least it allows them the opportunity to say, well, you know, I saw, I thought this was really handling, but it really wasn't because of, you know, when I go back to the previous and this is what I really saw, you know, so I'm glad to see that. I'm glad we're able to give our listeners an, an opportunity to see what really goes on to the refereeing because most of the time they just see the shirt and they see a missed call and then they say, hey, well, you know, this guy's awful. We never want to see him again. And, and, and just to that point, you know, let's say the missed call happens in week three. What, what a lot of, uh, of your listeners probably won't realize that is every two weeks, the referees come together as a group for three or four days. So twice a month, every month of the season, we are in this environment uh, away from our families and where we discuss and work on the calls from the previous couple of weeks, the, the, the decisions. And the referees are always really, really good at working on getting better, always. And, and they're the first people in that group to say, hey, we got it wrong, but the next time, we gotta get it right. And along with the evaluations they receive, along with the, the coaching they receive, we're giving them the environment to get it right more more often than it's not. Same thing as a goalkeeper, right? You see a goalkeeper give up an easy goal, they miss an easy call. But you gotta you gotta respond and you gotta get the next call, right? So I, it's good it's just good to have that information to provide people because again, they always see the shirt and they always assume let's go yell at the referee, he made the wrong call, and it's like he probably knows that, or he or she probably already knows that. A In really, really interesting word there is accountability, and I've I gave a presentation this morning at, at the convention here, and and it was uh, one of the first slides was on accountability, and, and I showed a lot of media outlets saying referees should be more accountable, this more accountable that, and if we if we look up the definition of accountability, it's accepting. The, the responsibility for your decision. So when a referee does that on the field, there's nowhere to go. They yeah. are accountable immediately. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so so that's 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 also important. Um, in that preseason environment, how do you create game like environments? Do you bring in teams? Uh, do you have the referees play against each no, other? The referees <laughs> got a line. The referees got to get in and I play. I mean, in coaching, in coaching, in coaching courses, sometimes there's no demo team. You gotta you gotta play yourself. So. Uh, so what, how does that, how does that environment, what does that look like? Yeah. What's what, what we, we, we would normally do is a mixture of field sessions and technical sessions by video mm -hmm. and the field sessions would involve game like scenarios. It's very difficult to simulate a foul on the field right. and, and say, and surprise the referee yeah. with it. Very, very difficult. So we do a lot of work on visualization and we do a lot of work on watching footage that the official has never seen before. 
So they have to think on the spot. Yeah. We create some situations with the referees on the fields. And, and, and that can be a lot of fun because a referee is always trying to trip up another referee <laughs> in terms of, I've never seen this before, so I've got to make this decision. Yeah. So there's a healthy competition there, but at the same time, they are uh, we're, we're trying to make it as realistic as possible, yeah? Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I just I almost just picture like you bring in a bunch of players and you tell them to be mean to the referee. I've ever just seen how they react. <laughs> Dude, you know people would probably pay to have that job. You could probably get people to pay to I just, work on I, I just, referees. I just look know? at it. I look at it from the perspective of like, it's it's if you train harder than the game will ever be, then you're always prepared, right? Like, isn't that that's in that? So uh, well, you're saying free beer at the referee at the referee <laughs> um, training, just have an open bar and just say, hey, look, pack it in, and here you go. Here's your abuse. Here's your abuse training. Oh, no. we're all athletes. None of us drink. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I think, but I think it's important to understand that like the not only how much work goes into it, because I feel like it's, and you mentioned that, right? You you know, how do you prepare for the different stages and the different levels? At the youth level, you're dealing with sidelines with parents that are sitting in chairs that are three feet away from the sideline, and then turn around and you're sitting at uh, at the Atlanta United Stadium, which is... 100,000 deep. Yeah, massive. Uh, so, and you you feel like a, a tiny little speck in this massive. And you could have been at Subaru Park the week before with 18,000, right? Yeah, you go right. from 18,000 to 100,000 in a span of weeks. Yeah, so so to, to deal with it, that what happens from a mental standpoint in, in how do you deal with potential burnout and retention for referees? Because I know we deal with it at the youth level constantly with referees and, and not wanting to come back. So I can just imagine what that pressure is like the first time you step into a stadium that has 18,000 people or the next week it's 100,000 people. How do you how do you prepare the referees for that environment? Because raise the fees. Because I mean that there's only I mean you can only you there's only no one can prepare you for stepping into a field of 100,000 people unless you step into a field with 100,000 people, right? It's a completely different experience and uh that's at the very very top level and uh, what what we've often uh done at this level is the secret is in how we manage the official schedule mm -hmm. because nobody can referee effectively in front of 100,000 people every week. Yeah. It doesn't happen. And you've often seen uh, referees as fourth officials. You've often seen them working, well, you heard about them working as VARs yeah. as well. We try to, to ensure that the pressure they're under is not intense, as intense every week as in Atlanta. They maybe only go to Atlanta once or twice a year. They go to all the different stadiums, but they don't referee every week. And this is this is a different pressure to the, the youth soccer that a lot of officials come start their career with because they're refereeing two, three, four games a day. And I never as a as a top European referee refereed four games in two months. Right. It's it's very, very different. And managing that and giving them support uh, and lots of relaxation and a very good uh, sports science program is all that we put in place to, to help them cope with those pressures and, and the media pressure and the, the, the you know, interviews and, and on the TV and the, the pressure they get from social media now and their families being exposed to all of that is, is, is massive. 
and we 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 we're looking at many ways to ease that pressure in between games you know that's important that's extremely important i feel like because they're the it's similar to, to soccer players right the career of a referee isn't isn't forever right at a certain point you you retire as a referee and then the rest of your life continues whether it's back into the, somehow giving back to the game or uh or you just continue on with the career you had before you were a referee right and many referees still have their careers while they're so referee. how do you how do you manage how do you manage that and how do you prepare them for for that i mean it's I'm assuming there's probably a mixture of referees that do this full time, and then the referees that still try to have their 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 jobs and try to manage that life balance. So, how does that work? It's very important that everybody doesn't have 100% of their time 24/7 focused on refereeing. Very very important because that that's not healthy. Now, all of the officials who work in MLS from the refereeing side are full time. Mm -hmm. Now, we do encourage other interests. Yeah. Of course, you've got to have other interests outside of soccer. That's your job. You'll do your job well, but it's like any job. People people have interests outside their job. And as the, the uh, all of the, the referees in the lower professional leagues are aspiring to become full-time. And why wouldn't you? It's a, it's a to be a full-time yeah. soccer referee. Agree. Doing what you love is is amazing. When you get there, the pressures are different. And it's about balancing those pressures. So we certainly encourage uh, outside interests uh, to get your mind off it. Speaking yeah. from experience, to get your mind off it. Even from the the administrative side, you know, we could go 24-7 on, on, on administrating the referees, but you need time away as well. You know? How do you manage how do you manage preparation for retirement? It's a good question. Not uh, referees are strange breed <laughs> in that uh, you ask any referee uh, how they want to go out, how they want to retire, and they'll tell you always on their own terms. It's going to be their decision. They're going to choose. They're going to want to choose their last game. To they'll choose their last game. Now, sometimes that's not possible. Sometimes, for example, injury will force a player or force a referee to retire. And that can be difficult. We provide the support. and We ask the officials to communicate with us very, very early on in terms of their later stages, when they and how they want to do it. And we accommodate that because we think it's very, very important for them as people and very important for everybody to see that we're supporting what they're doing, when they want to go, and when they, 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 they want to... Do it on their own terms. Yeah. You know? That's important because I feel like that also leaves, that also creates an environment internally for people to want to be around that, right? Because if not, people want to want to be around that and then you don't have to. Um, I mean, I'm sure they want their families to come into the last game and see yeah. all that stuff. So I'm sure they pick a good game. Yeah. You know, me, I'd say, hey, put me in the best game wherever <laughs> I am. You know, MLS <laughs> Cup final, I'll retire after that one. <laughs> um, so before we wrap up, we we feel like we have a a, a massive we have a referee problem. We have a referee we're, we're problem at the youth problem. level. Um, I feel like around the country there's a referee shortage. Um from a from a fan perspective, whether it's parents, coaches, family members uh we we all admit that we're not doing a good enough job 
um, preparing referees, encouraging them to stay, especially when they're 13, 14, 15 years old. Um, and we're, we're, we're setting ourselves up ultimately, I think for failure, because uh, somewhere at, at some point, the, you know, it's, it's, we're going to see the long lasting effects of it. What can we do at the youth level, um, to help ultimately give you the best chance of having the best referees possible and almost give you the problem of having too many good referees. Right. Uh, so what, what, what have you seen in your, in your research or in your, in your, in your career so far that, that can help us? Yeah. I've given many, many, uh, talks on this and answered many questions in relation to this. And it's not, it's not a difficult concept, although a, a lot of, a lot of people think it could be overly complicated. I, I make a, a, an analogy with, uh, I've got a, a three-year-old son and I make a, an analogy in, and say that when when my son was born, for the first three years, what did I do to make him feel happy? Well, you support, you are there, you help, you educate, you do everything and be there for that person at every point so that they feel safe and secure to learn and to thrive. and. Believe it or believe it not, it's no different with, with young, brand new officials. So many officials I see leaving the game very soon after starting it in terms of officiating is because they feel isolated. They feel by themselves. They don't have a support network. Your family, yeah, have that, but in a refereeing circle. And I've often said to groups, those first Two years are crucial. If you're there as somebody or as a group that are constantly supporting, learning, helping them to learn, picking them up when they fall down, and doing everything that a, even a caring parent would do at that point in terms of refereeing, then the person will thrive after that. Makes um, sense. You build that yeah. confidence for them. You know, you give them the opportunity to, you know, give feedback like most like a mentor, right? And and the biggest thing that drives officials away is abuse and and um, various things that make them think the world is against them. Yeah. I haven't got anybody, or somebody's not listening, or uh, and it's really really important that we support our younger officials in the early stages of their career, and then let them fly after that. Let them spread their wings after that. But in that first part, we've got to really look after you. Alan, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. It's been a learning experience for us. I think uh, it's a great opportunity to, you know, to for us as clubs, right, to do our part in the retention of referees and protecting the referees. Because I think we, we rely on the referee assigner and we say, oh, well, the referee assigner signs the game. It's his problem. But once we saw the shortage, I think we've got to take a bigger ownership of it. So, yeah, thank you for, for everything. We really appreciate it. Thank, thank you. you very much. All right, Dwayne. I, I have this funny story to tell you. So um, so <laughs> I saw this this article. So FIFA is uh, FIFA's coming out with a new, came out with a new exam for player for player agents for agents of players mm -hmm. in the entire world so in order for you to be an agent right let's just say let's just say um 
I was uh I was a um you were a professional soccer player, right? So you're a professional soccer player, uh, and I'm your agent, right? Let's just say you and I are friends, and you're like, hey, I don't want to go through a formal thing. You're gonna be my agent, you deal with everything. You still have to um you still have to have a you have to be a registered agent with FIFA and you have to take this test. So you gotta take this test. Um so if you if you had to take a guess um as to like how extensive this test would be to become an agent to be able to perform transfers of potentially millions and millions of dollars. It's a hard test. I mean, I would say because I mean I mean judging by the fact that you have to take a test and there's been people like it wasn't messy represented by his dad like there's been yeah. people whose parents and brothers yeah. and then you kind of go back and you look at like the javier mascherano uh being owned by like a group yep and then selling part of him and not selling yeah <laughs> like 30 percent of this group still owning him or something like that yeah. like i i assume it's pretty extensive to kind of block that kind of stuff out yeah <laughs> You're trying so, to get rid of all the Argentinian uh, back doors that are left open. So how how uh, how 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 extensive do you think this test is? I mean, probably the equivalent of getting the perfect score in the SAT. Okay, the test is twenty <laughs> questions. Oh, 20 hard <laughs> questions. Multiple it's 20, choice. It's twenty questions in one hour. Multiple choice. And you need a seventy-five percent. Oh. Seems so pretty. Is it multiple choice? You know, I don't know. Uh, so, so they had they had three thousand eight hundred candidates worldwide last week. Take the test. This new test. Uh, do you know how many passed? Like a percentage? Yes. Like thirty. Fifty-two percent. Half failed. So only 1,000, oh, sorry, uh, only 52% passed, so 48% failed. 1,962 people actually passed this test. Everyone else failed. So that's, that, that knocked out all the people who's been sitting around like, yo, my brother's about to make it. Yeah. He's about to pay me and and knocked out all those people. So the test is completely mandatory unless you're unless you were licensed as an agent before 2015 because they had a previous system or something like that. Um, some of them, some of them have been exempted from the test if you were a high-profile agent um, and had had multiple deals of you know tens of millions of dollars and stuff like that. Um, you can just apply for a license by September, but everyone will have to have this new license and exam passed by October. So you have to have it done get, after get, the transfer window closes. Yeah, you get one more transfer. You got you get one more transfer window. Yeah, one more you get one more cash out. <laughs> well because well because you know some deals are probably already underway and things like that. Um so FIFA wants to cap agent earnings at a maximum of 10% of the transfers fees when they act for the selling club. Yeah, that's a lot more than like what you get in America. Also, yeah, like it just 3%. would be limited would be limited to three percent of a player's salary when those earnings are more than two hundred thousand dollars per year, or five percent when the player earns up to two hundred thousand dollars. 
Those limits would be six and 10 respectively when the agent acted for both the player and the club signing them. Cause that's the problem now, right? That's what you have. It's specifically in, in, in Argentina, this happens a lot where you got, where you got agents that represent multiple players that now are acting in behalf of multiple clubs. So they go, well, listen, man, let me get you this player to this club, but then you give me that player to this club. So now I'm now I'm dealing with multiple players that I currently represent and I'm just, you know, just moving pieces on the chessboard. Yeah, there you go. It's a lot of you're money. Over here, you're, over there, here promoting, you're over here promoting teams and relegating teams, right? Pretty much. It's pretty much what it comes down to, right? Like it's it's crazy. Listen, I'll take you from fifth in the standings to third. Yeah. It is now, it it's is. up to the coach to win the games, but on paper. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, but currently, because right now, because um, right now they're again the whole the cap fees in Europe and things like that have been very difficult, um, and multiple lawsuits that FIFA is currently facing as well. So they're they're trying to find a way to make sure that um, they they have some sort of a standard across the board, which I don't know that I I disagree with. I I, I think that's that's good to have a standard, right? Good to eliminate. Argentinian corruption. Hey man, hey man, we're not the only country that's corrupt. There, you guys are the only reason why this is coming into place. You guys ruined it. Well, you know what the interesting thing is is um, so a lot of those players are actually so so to so give everybody some background and basically what what um, Duane was talking about with the Mastrano thing. So that's happened quite a bit with different players, but basically what happens is a um, a controlling majority group. So this specifically happens with one club in Uruguay quite a bit. So this this uh, this club in Uruguay has this controlling group that handles their soccer stuff that then also happens to be agents of other players and deals with players across the world. Um, so what they do is, so for example, let's just say Dwayne's a player that's playing in Argentina and he's looking to get transferred to Europe. Somebody comes in call it whoever Southampton Southampton is going to come in or Crystal Palace so that way it's close to home Crystal Palace wants Dwayne right Dwayne's currently playing in Argentina Crystal Palace wants Dwayne but Crystal Palace isn't going to go pay the fee from the club in Argentina what's going to happen is the club in Argentina is going to sell Dwayne's player card or or, or uh, um, FIFA card or whatever FIFA yeah yeah I forget exactly the term but the rights, the rights to Dwayne to a certain extent to this club in Uruguay. Now, what's going to happen is this club in Uruguay is going to loan him out to Crystal Palace. And then, then Crystal Palace deals with this club in Uruguay, technically, even though it's not really, it's not, that's really not what's happening. Yeah, it's all backdoor. It's all backdoor. So, so technically, you're never actually ever signed for the club in Uruguay. You you get loaned out to it. It's 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 kind of nuts. Everybody's palms are getting greased. Everyone's got wet that beak, man. Got wet that beak a little bit. <laughs> so yeah, um, that's and Dwayne kinda... doesn't. And Dwayne still can't speak a lick of Spanish, but he's down there in all these countries getting transferred, <laughs> moving from one place to the next. Um, yeah, man, I didn't know you played in Uruguay, Dwayne. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bien, bien, bien. 
Yo soy bien. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's not that's not necessarily correct, grammatically correct, but no, it wasn't. You got the point. You got yeah, we got the point. We got it. Um all right, uh let's move on to the player of the match. Player of the match? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> you yeah, remember my player the, hold on, remember my player of the match from last week? Who was it? It was Sean Johnson. Yo, yeah. Yo, those floodgates. I was thinking about that. <laughs> <laughs> he gave up the first goal for the U.S. men's national team in like 12 years, and then the floodgates opened on Saturday. <laughs> Literally. I mean, it was raining and everything, so. Yo, no, I'm going to actually give it to um, one of his teammates, Insigne. Insigne. He scored a really nice goal. Yo, dude, it's filthy. Yeah, from Italy. I forgot that. He made a nice little transfer over to Toronto. Yeah. Like he's making a little bit of he's wetting his beak. His beak is wet. <laughs> wetter, wetter than what it was at the game on Saturday. <laughs> um but yeah, yo, he just took a touch in him and said, Yeah, watch this back back corner. Cool. Yeah. Like you gotta, um, you gotta keep the straps on him. I mean, you also you you also went you went to the union game against LAFC. Yeah, man, I kind of showed up for the last ten minutes and watched that game. Yeah, this is a good, um, really good game. Um, you know, Union notorious for getting that penalty when they needed in the Concacaf. Yeah, you think um, the you think the Union pull it out away? You got to score early. You got to get after him. Can't can't tie, or I guess can't. Well, tie. I mean, I guess the thing they have Dallas got to score a goal. I think the thing they have in their favor is they don't play this weekend. Oh yeah. So they push their, you know, so they kind of really maximize the recovery window. When you talk about you played Saturday, play Wednesday what? night, as far away from Saturday as possible. And then, I mean, obviously you have to travel to LA, but you don't play again until Tuesday. Yeah. And I mean, in reality, going out there, you, you lose three or you gain three hours, I guess, yeah. of recovery. <laughs> so, I mean, you score, you know, you got to score. And not give up a goal, you kind of control your own destiny. I mean, you score twice, you you, you make it really interesting, right? I mean, they've they've managed to be able to score in that stadium before. You scored three, so and the guy that scored against them isn't there anymore. It's true. That's true. I mean, and then, I mean, I wonder with the Carlos Vela. I wonder why he gets subbed out early. He got subbed off in like the 60, 60th minute. Spy rest, rest, well, knock injury, yeah, could be, but um, all right, well, I'm excited to, to next week we'll hear about that because that'll happen. Yeah. So, the other, other observation I have, yes, because obviously, you go Sean Johnson, Kellen Acosta, Aaron Long, all U.S. men's national team guys that played, yep, they aren't very good. <laughs> <laughs> Like Aaron Long was good out of the air. Oh, yeah. that's really all he was good at. And obviously the union don't really have outside of like Michael Ura, they don't really have any like aerial guys other than when they send their center backs forward. I mean, again, Kellen Costa scores that goal late, but like I guess like my expectation for those guys is their national team guys are better, especially Acosta going to the World Cup. Yeah, but I think you play within the environment that you're in. You gotta raise the environment that you're in now. Mm. Yeah, maybe, but but you you know you're you know it's that saying of you're only as strong as your weakest link, right? So 
it's you play within the environment. I think I don't know. I think I think you might be expecting. That's I think that's why sometimes you know European players or South American players sometimes struggle when they come to the MLS, or they 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 settle in, um, because it's not as easy as like. I mean, Ricky, Pooch, look at Ricky Pooch, right? Perfect example. Ricky Pooch came over from Barcelona and should have the ability to to do do some magical things. Yet the team's not very good. Yeah. Um, so, you know, one player doesn't make, you know, doesn't can change the game or can impact the game, but it's not a consistently be able to one player. You're going to all of a sudden, like, I mean, l- listen, we see it with Messi at PSG, right? One player doesn't, you know, can't have that, that much of an impact without everybody else being on the same page. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just interesting when you look at like from a national team perspective, but like, we've got two guys on that team, obviously Carlos Vela with the Mexican national team. And you look at like the union who have guys on national teams of countries that you don't necessarily pay attention to, Venezuela, Hungary, yeah, Denmark, you know, all those. And it's like, and the difference when you lose those guys versus the, and those guys, the difference of those guys playing other guys from national teams. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, all right. My player of the match um goes out to Gabby Riley. Who's a who's a local Delaware player who um, yesterday announced that she committed to the University of Delaware? I had the I had the pleasure and honor to to coach Gabby for four years, or four and a half years. Um, um, and I'll continue to say this: it, it she is probably or she was, you know, she during those times that I coached her was was the one of the hardest working players I've gotten the the pleasure to coach. I've coached a lot of players and I like I've coached a lot of really good players and regardless of the the talent level or the ability I think it's for me it's always about the work ethic of it. Um and she's always been able to not only do that for herself but for her teammates and that's a quality that that's commendable. Um so I just want to give her a big shout out because I'm always rooting for her and the fact that she she committed to the University of Delaware is an exciting exciting thing, you know, stay local and be able to play close to home. Um, so just congratulations to her and her family um, for for that next level in her career, for the next step in her career. So, Yeah, congratulations to Gabby. All right. Uh, on this day in soccer history, um, I think you're going to really like this one because we're going to go. We haven't gone this far back in a long time, and I didn't post it in our little thing for a reason. <clears throat> I didn't want you to see it. I didn't want you to see it too early. All right. So who are the two? Who are two? If you had to if you had to go back and think like two of the more successful teams or rivalry games within the Premier League. Name off a few. Are they still in the Premier League? Yes. Yeah, still in the Premier League. Um, well, Arsenal, like Tottenham, Chelsea, yeah. Arsenal, like those London, <clears throat> Manchester United, Manchester City. What else? Liverpool, Everton. What else? Uh... Um, Manchester, Manchester United, Liverpool, Everton. Anybody that's good, anybody that's in the top six. All right. So, what else? Who else? Who else? Like, name some more matchups within that that you named Tottenham, Arsenal, Tottenham, Chelsea, Manchester City, Chelsea, Manchester City, Arsenal, Manchester United, Chelsea, Manchester United, Arsenal. One more. You're missing one more within that. Who is probably. <clears throat> Who would you say is the 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 most well known from a historical standpoint, and was well most well known, or one of the most well known teams within the Premier League? 
Manchester United. All right. Okay. And recently, who's been one of the more, most well-known teams in the Premier League? City, Liverpool. There you go. The second one. Liverpool. All right. So Manchester United, Liverpool. First time they ever played each other was in April 28th. was on April 28th, 1894. 1894, over 100 years ago. I was a Saturday. Um, and actually, Liverpool did not play against Manchester United because Manchester United wasn't called Manchester United back in that moment. Manchester United was actually called Newton Heath. The Newton Heath? Heath. Oh, Heath. Newton. Say, Heath. Why did they change their name from that? That sounds like a legit. No, New- Newton Heath. Um, so they played their first competitive match. Um, and it was basically Newton Heath, which is now Manchester United, had finished at the bottom of Division One, and Liverpool was at the top of Division Two. Um, with promotion and relegation being decided with test matches, that's what they were called league test matches. Um, so Liverpool won and they were promoted to the top flight while Newton Heath. Manchester United were relegated. Uh, Liverpool was only in Division One for one more, um, one season that year, and then they were back down. Um, and then they they actually ended up playing in the 1895-1896 league when they were both in Division Two. So, and Liverpool Liverpool won their first one seven to one, and then Manchester United or Newton Heath won five to two their second time. So there you go. First time Manchester United and Liverpool ever played against each other. Now they play each other semi-annually. Yeah. Except for when they play in the FA Cup. Yep. 1894, though, man. That's that's crazy, right? It's 130 years. 130 years. 129, if you want to be particular. Yes. Yes. Um, just a little, I just had a little deja vu. That's nice. 129 years. Yeah. Hey, you know, you know who's probably been playing longer? I don't know if I sent you this clip. Um Rangers and Celtic. Yes. And dude, I was watching a clip. It's actually gonna be my favorite. You just jump ahead to the fair play of the week. Go ahead, yeah. The referee that ref that game, I think in 2011 with like three red cards. It was an absolute madhouse on that field. Yeah. Like, talk about guys. Like, I, I mean, if you don't know that rivalry, you got to go watch, go watch like the highlights of a rivalry. And you got to go back to like the 2000s and the 90s to see when it was like legit, real deal. Yeah. But like, yo, it was just like any foul out there could have been a red card. He <laughs> <laughs> only gave up three. Well, especially when you look back at towards the, the 70s, 80s, and 90s, the, the fouls were not the same, man. Like, they weren't called the same. No. Um, you could almost get away with with some real tough stuff there, and just get a yellow card or just not anything, not get anything. The, the one of the players, the ref was giving him a yellow. One of the players grabbed his hand, the ref's hand, and tried to take the yellow from him. <laughs> like that was gonna like, yellow. He didn't get no yellow no more. He went to that back pocket. He said, "You can have the yellow." Oh, it goes as red. <laughs> there was an American um, play in that game. 
Was it American? Yeah, Maurice Do. Oh, okay. And he was just out there like, man, this is a... <laughs> I'm just American. I'm just out here hanging out. I'm just playing. <laughs> this isn't like a... This isn't really personal for me. <laughs> um. All right. So that was your Dan Simmons Fair Play of the Week. Yeah, uh, that ref. I don't know mine, his name. Mine Mine goes out to, to Mike B. Um... Yesterday I had a really good conversation with him and just in general um feel like we're I've, I've enjoyed the time that I've had with him so far you know coaching with him has been really really fun but just in general be able to talk about life and and connect on some different things that we're both experiencing um just want to send a big shout out to him because it's it's helped quite a bit so that's my it's my Dan Simmons fair play of the week award keep it a little broad and, and vague which is perfectly fine but um yeah, speaking right. of Celtics Versus Rangers. You know who plays on Sunday? Who? Celtics and Rangers, 8.30. All right. You going to watch it? Mm, probably going to be... Yeah, I might watch a little bit. I got uh, I got VIP to another sport this weekend. Yeah, that's right. You're going to another sporting event. All right. Well... The only uh, sporting event in Dover. <laughs> um, well, make sure you follow us on, on Instagram at DE Soccer Podcast, at D Soccer Podcast. Thanks for joining us this week. And remember, always receive the ball on your front foot. 